0: The story of the origins of our universe is a story that only somebody who was present at that time can tell. That's the reality, right? Uh, But we do have uh, some tools that we uh, look back in time with. Scientists think that uh, some of the things that they observe in the universe um, helps to understand where we got all the elements and biological forms and physical laws and particles and all that stuff, and they call it the afterglow of the Big Bang. Now, if you know anything about pop culture since 2007, you probably have heard of this show, The Big Bang Theory. And uh, just by way of uh, maybe a fun um, introduction to the theory of the Big Bang, um, I'm going to share the main theme song. It goes like this. Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state. Then nearly 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait. The earth began to cool. The autotropes began to drool. Neanderthals developed tools. We built a wall. We built the pyramids. Math, science, history, unveiling the mysteries. That all started with the Big Bang. Since the dawn of man is really not that long, as every galaxy was formed in less time than it takes to sing this song, a fraction of a second, and the elements were made. The bipeds stood up straight. The dinosaurs all met their fate. They tried to leap, but they were late, and they all died. The oceans and Pangea, so you wouldn't want to be a set in motion by the same Big Bang, it all started with a Big Bang. It's expanding ever outward, but one day it will pause and start to go the other way, collapsing ever inward. We won't be here, it won't be heard, our best and brightest figure, that it'll make an even bigger bang. Did you catch that cycle? The suggestion of the Big Bang is that it started with a Big Bang, it's going to end with a Big Bang, uh, and, and maybe... Maybe uh, it's going to do it all over again. That's an interesting theory. It it goes something like this. Everything was in this very small, dense something or other. It exploded, expanded, cooled, collided, collected, until we have what we see in the universe today. That's the Big Bang. One day in the future, it's all going to condense back into an ultra-dense thing in some black hole. And maybe there's going to be another Big Bang after that. And then sometime in the future, another condensing and another Big Bang and another condensing. Who knows how long that might last or how many times that might happen? There's no begin or end to this idea, if you think of it that way. Now, years ago, scientists took some interesting instruments, put them in space, and they looked at uh, these nebulas and galaxies. and, And what they started to realize is that the galaxies are moving away from each other in space. And in fact, that they're moving away from each other faster than the speed of light. That They're even speeding up how fast they move away from each other. Which gives us an interesting thing. It's called a cosmic horizon. There is a point at which we can't see any farther because the galaxies out there are moving so fast away from us that the light can't get to us. So, so that's an interesting problem. And, uh, it asks or brings up some interesting questions, like uh, how did they start moving away from each other? Now, there's a, a couple options to this, um, solutions to this problem. The first being that there's an infinite power, uh, more powerful than all the stars in the nebula in the universe combined, that this power created the universe, spread out its, gal- spread out its galaxies, and sustains everything. That's option one. The second option is that some natural force um, exploded, that there is an origin of this explosion. Some power began to move it out away from each other. And uh, this naturalistic idea is kind of the one that has taken over and become most popular. And those are really the only two options that we have. Well, there is a third option that had been proposed some time ago, uh, people don 't really think about it much today it 's called the steady state theory, and it suggests that the universe is expanding because it 's always creating new things, always um, stuff happening, and so it keeps expanding because stuff is happening and uh, and and that it always has been doing that and always will do that there 's no beginning and no end um, but uh, what we observe doesn 't seem to support that, and so we 've kind of Put that theory to the side. So we've got really two big bang options. The big bang of a creator who makes things powerfully happen, or the big bang of natural processes and evolution. Those are the two options that we're left with. Now let's, uh, let's open our Bible and consider these big bangs. You might guess where we're going, and you might be surprised. <laughs> Before we, before we go there, though, I should probably suggest something about science. Because faith and science have this interesting relationship. Uh, there are two main uh, fields, not fields, but maybe aspects of scientific investigation. The first is observation, it's things that we can test and observe. And we create some really cool instruments um, like microscopes and telescopes and a whole slew of other really amazing instruments to try to understand what we're seeing and to see things better. And the better we see things, the better we understand them. Uh, but then there's this other field of science, not really a field, but this other aspect of scientific investigation, and it's called theoretical science. And it's the, the, the process where we take things we observe and we, we come up with hypotheses as we run them through mathematical equations and interesting um, uh, logical processes in our brains. And and, uh, scientists suggest theories, like, because we see this, we're pretty sure that this is true. Uh, And and then they find really um, creative ways to test their theories. For instance, uh, the theoretical physicists suggested the existence of something called the the Higgs boson, uh, a particle of the Higgs something or other. Not a scientist, so <laughs> and and uh, they suggest this theory of the Higgs boson that it that it must exist, and then they build this large hadron collider and they smash particles together, and sure enough, they're able to uh, verify that this theory is true, that the Higgs boson does exist. Now, science has a weakness. Uh, we have observations, and we have theories, and we can test those theories, right? But science has a weakness because it's relying on observation and natural processes to explain everything. And uh, largely, scientists have completely denied the possibility of the existence of God, a creator, an infinite power. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I don't know everything there is to know about science. I'm a pastor. I'm not a physicist. And please pardon me if what I've said so far has holes in it, or I didn't explain it well enough. If you know uh, what I'm describing better than I do, um, please forgive my fumbling. Uh, But I'm not the only one who doesn't know everything. Hmm. The the reality is that um, we don't know what we don't know. It's impossible for us to tell how much of knowledge there is to know, Uh, but uh, we've done a little bit of exploring NOAA, the National um, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says that we have explored a total of about 5% of the ocean's um, space in our world, 5%. That doesn't mean we only know 5% of what there is to know about the ocean, but I guarantee you... Every time we go to someplace new and explore something new, we find new things, which means there's an unknown amount of information about the ocean and everything in it that we don't know. And then the American Association for the Advancement of Science says that every year we discover about 15,000 new species, and we add them to the roughly 1.3 million species that we've cataloged so far on the Earth. But they, the the scientists that study these things and uh, research uh, universities they tell us that there's probably 8.7 million species in the earth, which means we've only discovered one sixth of what the earth of the species that are on the earth. That's an incredible thought, right? There's a lot that we don't know. But then, if you if you look to the skies, uh, there's all kinds of limiting factors. The fact that we can't go there very easily, that's a problem. Um, Or the vastness of space, certainly what we don't know far outweighs what we do know when it comes to our universe. Every time we put a better camera or bigger lens or a, a different imaging tool in space, we find out that some of our theories that we suggested before are wrong simply because we hadn't observed yet. And, and we discover new things that we never imagined that we would see. If we only know a fraction of what there is to know, does it make sense to cast off an idea that is plausible just because it's supernatural? I don't think it is. <coughs> Excuse me. The weakness of modern science is that it refuses to consider a creator as part of the story of nature. But can I just say that as Christians, we haven't always made it easy for scientists. <coughs> Would somebody mind getting me? Okay, good. I was fine before. I haven't um, had a trouble with my, um, my throat until I started speaking. Thank you very much. Ah, that's better. <clears throat> Years ago, we used to say that the heart beat by the power of God, as though the hand of God was massaging our heart and moving blood around our bodies. Of course, today we know <coughs> we know that that's not the um, that's not the case. It's uh, electrical impulses, and we can even artificially stimulate the heart. With electrical impulses. Uh, and, and so uh, we're kind of left with a couple options. Option one, we reject what science says. And we say, no, that's not electrical impulses. It's the hand of God. Or we reject our assumptions about God. And we say, oh, no, God's not involved at all. Or maybe there's a third option. Maybe God is at work through the natural processes that he designed. Is it possible that what we observe in nature is actually a revelation of God and his design and his involvement? One of the big questions today is why the galaxies are moving apart faster and faster and faster. If you were to throw a tennis ball, <coughs> the, the, the moment that it left your hand is the fastest that tennis ball would be moving, right? Right? It's not going to speed up as it goes. It's going to slow down. So why is it that the galaxies are speeding up? There must be added power, right? If that uh, tennis ball that you threw, if it had like an engine inside of it that created some kind of thrust, it would move faster. What engine is it? What power is being added to the universe? And they call this unknown source of power, dark energy. Ooh. (laughs) What is dark energy? Nobody knows. We have not been able to measure it or test it. It's, It's really just a theory based on the knowledge we have that they're moving apart faster and faster. So what is it? You and I might be tempted to say, it's the power of God. Nobody was excited about that when I said it. Come on. They're moving away faster and faster, right? Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. It's right there. God's power stretches out the heavens. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. Is God the source of the energy in our universe that's making these galaxies do what they do? Yes, yes, absolutely. But like the heart being pumped by the hand of God, we might be tempted if someday science is able to measure and and define in some way what this dark energy is, we might be tempted to cast God out of the picture and suggest that it's simply natural processes. But what I'd like to say is that There is a God who created, he is the power behind this, and his power is expressed through natural processes that he sets into place and sustains. For every power, there is a source, every photon of light, every particle has an origin. I don't know about you, but I think that science is missing a big opportunity when it completely denies the possibility of a creator God. Now, let's go to the beginning, to the beginning of the the origin story in the Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 1. told you we weren't going to go to the place you thought. John chapter 1, it describes this um, amazing beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word of God is an incredibly important idea in the Bible's creation account. The laws of nature demonstrate that energy isn't created and it's not destroyed by natural methods, it can only be transformed from one state to another, which brings the natural question, where did the infinitely dense material come from that created the Big Bang? Where did all that stuff come from in the beginning? Science has no answer for that question, except I, I did uh, read this article that was kind of interesting. It says that, that um, there's this, this thing called inflation. How many of you enjoy inflation? Just raise your hand if you like it. No hands raised. So there's this period called inflation, Big Bang happens from this infinitely small, infinitely dense thingamajig, it explodes and in a trillionth of a second, the universe goes from infinitely small to doubling more than 80 times to about the size that it is today, in a trillionth of a second. And they say, in that moment of expansion and inflation, maybe the laws of physics that we know today didn't apply and something could come from nothing in that moment. Well, that's an interesting thought. I have another suggestion. Maybe, maybe it's a God who creates, who speaks, and things come from nothing. Is that any less plausible? Hmm. The Bible makes a bold claim that God is so powerful that his words are like living things that go about accomplishing what he says. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11 say this, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I think this is perhaps a good explanation For what the passage says in Hebrews 6, 18, when it says, it is impossible for God to lie. Not because God is always truthful and he never lies, but because when God says something, it happens. When God says of you, you are my child, can he lie? When his word goes out of his mouth, it accomplishes what he says. If it created the universe, certainly it can make you God's child. Jesus says even the rocks could become children of Abraham if God wanted them to. Because he is powerful. His words are creative. Now turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, the creation account in the Bible. It begins with these words, In the beginning, God... Here is where we agree with uh, evolutionary science. In the beginning, there was something big. Think about it. If God were to create all the universe has, if, if all this energy and power had to have a source, doesn't it make sense that that source is more powerful than all the energy The Bible talks about God as a consuming fire, brilliance. It says that if we were to be in his presence as sinners, we would perish. How many of you have uh, taken a trip to the sun recently? I don't think they've started the the, um, tours to the sun quite yet. That might be a few years from now. Um, The sun is a really hot place, and it's not even the hottest, is it? It's not even the biggest star around. Uh, the next nearest star is many, many, many times bigger than the sun and hotter. And, and then there's these amazing places where stars are born, gases and stuff colliding and exploding. All across the universe, we see these amazing things that are so powerful that we cannot possibly comprehend it. Temperatures that are so hot that, that, that nothing on earth would survive. And God created all that, which implies he's bigger than all of that. And so when science says there was a big bang at the, at the beginning, I, I'm inclined to believe them, B- but not because it just happened, but because there is a God with infinite power. In these first four words of Scripture, we see the, the greatest and most important character in this story, and he's going to be the character that... Is highlighted in every other story as we read through the Bible this year and in the Word. This God of infinite creative power, he is the character and the greatest story ever told. The, the verse goes on to say, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and right here we get a little bit of science. Before God created it, there was no time and there was no space. That one's hard to comprehend. There was no matter. In fact, time, all time is, is the measure of matter moving through space. That's all time is. So before matter and before space, there was no time. God creates all of this. In these words, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Verses 1 through 3 continue to describe the Trinity Construction Company as they mold and, and make this earth into a livable planet. The first day of the creation account, God speaks, and his words make it happen. He says, let there be light. And the Bible simply says, there was light. Some might ask, well, where did that light come from? That's a good question. Well, God, God is an infinite source of power, and he is light, so I think this isn't a hard one to guess. Um, but, but maybe he brought light from some other part of the, the universe. Let there be light. Boom. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, it just says that there was. The next verse, uh, the next day rather, it says, uh, let there be space between the waters above and below. God says it and it happened. The sky appeared. And we wonder about what does it mean by waters above and waters below? Well, there's clouds in the sky now and we don't worry about it. Have you heard about the, the, the atmospheric rivers? Millions of gallons of water carried by by clouds in the sky, dumping uh, onto the earth and becoming torrents of of water, rushing across and flooding this and that. And we never think a second thought about it, but we wonder when God says that he let the, the, the waters be separated from above and below. We're like, what does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly what it looked like then. Today, it looks like clouds. Day three, God says, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's exactly what happened. And on top of that, the record says that plants started to grow all around. And then on day four, God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate day and night. And in our section of the Milky Way galaxy, some new shiny things appeared. The sun to rule the day, the moon, to reflect its light and to govern the, the tides on, in, the, in the ocean. This is a good spot to pause for just a moment because we, we have a bit of a struggle when we, it comes to the creation account and how Christians have interpreted the Bible's description of this. Science suggests that uh, the universe and the earth are really quite old. Millions of years, billions of years. These are the kind of things that we talk about. But if you look at the Bible's account, you'll find that the earth can't be more than about 6,000 years since creation. And I'd just like to, to go on the record and say, I believe that the record in the Bible is literal and true. However, Christians have looked at this account And they said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, that's it. He created everything. And it suggests some interesting things when we say this. Number one, it suggests that the earth is the center of the universe, the first thing that was made, and everything was made around it. This is not what the Bible teaches. Um, And it it creates a a problem for some of the other stories that we read in the Bible (laughs) when we think that the origin story of our earth is the origin story of everything God created throughout all time. I think when you look at the stories of the Bible, you find things like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 12 describing a rebellion that took place in this place called heaven, a place of God's throne, a place where God lives and reigns, where angels are. This is a place that is not earth, a place outside of earth. And from the story, we know that the rebellion took place before creation because at creation, God planted a garden. And in the garden, he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by the time we get to this origin story of our earth, the rebellion had already happened because that, that rebel turned up and talked through a snake. This would suggest that time existed before earth. And that the center of the universe isn't earth, but it's God's throne and heaven. So if that's the case, uh, when science says there's millions or billions of years, um, on one hand, I completely disagree. It's only been about 6,000 years. On the other hand, I can really see where they're coming from. I have no idea how long God's been creating before he created this earth, before he took the, the formless void of the earth, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, over the face of the waters. In the Septuagint, the word that it uses here is abyss, and, and it doesn't mean nothing. It means formless and chaotic. So maybe God stretched out the universe and the skies long before He came to this corner of the universe and made our planet livable. And I think this is a really important thing to recognize. As we read the Bible this year, we're going to find all kinds of stories here. And they're stories about you and me and God's interaction with our planet. The Bible is not a book about heaven. The Bible is not a book about the universe. It is not a book about some other planet. It is a book about our planet and God's interaction with us. And so when it tells the story of creation, it's telling the story of our creation. Which kind of brings us to God's, how God's story connects with yours and my story today. And it's in day, well, we we first have to go to day five, I'm I'm sorry. He he says, let there be uh, fish in the water and and, uh, uh, birds in the air and, and that happened. And then it's day six and God, he says... Let the earth produce every sort of animal that can produce after their own kind. And then the earth was filled with all sorts of running, jumping, slithering, sloughing, and creeping and crawling things. And then something changes in the story. Because in Genesis chapter 2, God, it describes how God creates humans. In, In everything that he does so far, he simply says it and it happens. Because his word is powerful and creative and it does whatever he tells it to do, right? And yet when it gets to Adam, the Bible says that God formed him from the dust of the earth. The words that it uses are potent. The forming is a hands-on action. It's the thing that a potter does with clay. It's something that requires interaction and intimacy, not only does he form him, but he bends down, and it says he breathes into him the breath of life. It's the divine kiss. Some people are uncomfortable when I say that, that God kissed Adam. But this, this, this physical connection, this kiss of, of life that he gives him, it demonstrates the difference between everything else God has made and this creature that God is so intimately involved with. God designed this creature, Adam, for relationship, for connection, for intimacy, for love. He does a second thing in this sixth day. You know, he created the, the, the ground and plants started to grow. And so cer- certainly there was growing things all over the earth. But in Genesis 2, it says that, that God planted a garden. This word planted is, is the kind of word that uh, a, a gardener would understand. It's where you get your knees dirty, And your hands dig in the ground, right? Now, exactly how God planted the garden, we don't know. But he created a home. And now he has a man with a home. And it's only after he gives man a home that he gives man a wife to take to that home. And the next thing that, well, I need to tell you a funny story. Do you mind? There's a little boy goes to Sabbath school, and the teacher was, was telling the story of creation, and she says that, the, um, that God performed the first anesthesia, put him to sleep, and he performed the first surgery, and he took out a rib close to his heart. And she says, and that's kind of complicated and all kinds of interesting things, but, but just simply it's because he wanted to make Adam's wife... So close to his heart that, that he would know that uh, she was designed for him to love. Little boy hadn't heard this story before. And uh, so after, after church, that Sabbath afternoon, he went home for lunch. And I don't know, something happened. He ate something, whatever. But his, his stomach started to hurt. And he went and laid down and he called for his mommy and his mommy came over, what, what's, what's going on, son? And, and he says, uh, my, my tummy's hurting. And he points to his rib right here. And, and he says, I'm, I'm scared. Oh, why are you scared, honey? He says, I'm afraid I'm about to have a wife. Hmm. I don't think Adam was afraid. No, I don't think Adam was afraid. All of creation took place in six days, six spins of the earth. But it's this story of intimate and personal creation that's so compelling for me. Yeah, the God of infinite power can speak and galaxies form. (coughs) But he steps down personally and forms my ancestors with his hands and touches them with his lips. This is a compelling story of purpose and meaning and passion and desire. And when God is talking to the prophet Jeremiah, he points out that this is not something that he's stopped doing. He hasn't abandoned earth. In fact, he says in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, which implies that God forms each one of us in the womb. Not just Adam was created with purpose and desire, but you and I are created with purpose and desire as well. You are intimately involved. God, let me say that differently. God is intimately involved in your life. From before you were born, before you knew anything, God was part of your story. The Big Bang Theory of Evolution suggests that everything began with a naturalistic accident and that everything will end in a cold, dense black hole. There are no miracles. There is no purpose. You and I are the result of the accident of particles bumping into each other. The best we can do is enjoy life, try to stay out of trouble, and make sure that in death we uh, provide as much nutrition to the next organisms that exist as possible. That's the theory of evolution. But the story of the origins from the Bible it gives our existence meaning and value, and most importantly, it gives us love. And this is where the story of God intersects with our story. And it's also where you and I have to ask the question, if God designed this and God created this, then, then why evil? Science's answer to that is that, well, we're just selfish people, survival of the fittest. Uh, our goal in life, some thing hidden deep in our brains is that We're gonna survive at all costs even if it hurts somebody else and that's where evil comes from. But the Bible tells a much more compelling story. It says that God designed us for relationship. Adam and Eve had done little more than exist for a few moments when God said, rest with me. He created a day of rest called the Sabbath and he spent time with Adam and Eve. As the story unfolds, we find God coming to Eden to spend time with Adam and Eve again. He doesn't just say things and then wander away into another part of the universe. He creates Adam and Eve, spends time with them, and then when he does have to leave, he makes plans to come back. And we kind of get the idea that maybe this isn't a weekly thing, that he's going to come and hang out with Adam and Eve on a weekly basis. God's repeated presence illustrates what John wrote after spending time with Jesus, who is the Word of God made flesh. He says it like this in 1 John 4, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Underscore that word trust in your mind. We have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. The problems of our world all started with Adam and Eve deciding they didn't trust God's love. God said that he designed all the trees in the garden for their good, except there's one tree he said don't eat. And he said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And one day, Eve was going around the garden exploring, and and she saw this tree, and she meandered too close to it. They called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis 3 tells us the story of a snake controlled by that rebel Lucifer who suggested this, this doubt into Eve's mind. The Bible says that he deceived her. And he asked this question, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And of course she defended God and said, no, 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 we can eat of every tree except for this one because if we eat of this one, we'll die. And and his response was, no, you won't. You will not die. In fact, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat from this this, this tree is because it's this magical tree that when you eat of it, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And in that moment of deception, Eve stopped trusting God's love. And instead of thinking that God is love, she started thinking that God has uh, held something back from me. And so she decided to claim all the good and all the wonderful stuff and all the pleasurable stuff in the world, all the knowledge in the world for herself on her own terms. And in that moment of distrusting God, she pursued her own self-fulfillment apart from God. And that's the beginning of everything unloving and everything evil in our world. It would be reasonable at that moment for God to have said, well, that didn't work out, let me start again. But he didn't. In fact, the Bible records that he came to be with them again. This infinite God came to spend time with rebels And he he wandered in the garden not with uh, animosity, not with anger, not with um, condemnation. He he simply was going around the garden saying, Adam, Eve, where are you? Desiring their presence. And in fear, they had hidden themselves. Eventually, they came out and and, uh, explained what had happened. And when God responds to them, He doesn't condemn them. He responds with a solution. He loves them so much that he says, I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to make sure that there's a possibility of us being able to spend time together again. And, And in that moment, he promised them that he would become a human, that the word of God that created would become the word of God who redeems In these first passages of the Bible, we find the word of God is the origin of everything that is good. We find that distrusting and denying God's love is the origin of everything that is evil. And we discover that God gave his word that he would save us because he loves us so much. And it is this word that John spoke about when he said, in the beginning was the word. And in John 3.16, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, the word of God, gave his life in our place so that we could live. It may be that you look at your life and you can't quite understand why God would allow all the stuff that you experience. You can't see the big picture because all you have is what's right in front of you. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than you are. He is the infinite God who created all of this He knows everything. He sees the big picture. Um, And he has a grand vision for your life, a bigger picture, a bigger vision than you can imagine. He formed you to be his friend, and he wants you to walk with him much like he came into that special garden long ago to walk with Adam and Eve. God loves you so much that he gave himself so that you could live with him in his presence again with no sin and no death and no sickness and no pain. This first story in the Bible introduces this uh, main characters in this passion play, the, the character of God, the infinite creator, and the characters of humanity, which that's us. We are part of God's story. The God who creates, the God who redeems, the humans who are so wonderfully made and who are so broken, and the plan to solve that problem. As we continue to read through the Bible, we'll find story after story of God's patience and endurance and faithful love for all these different people who he interacts with throughout time. And each time God will relate to a person much like you and me and demonstrate that he has a plan for them, a plan that's bigger than they could imagine. And he uses people that, that you would not suspect to accomplish, this th- accomplish things that you could never imagine. The whole point of life is to be in a relationship with the God who creates. And if you're not in a relationship with God and his son, then you're missing the point of life because God loves you more than anything. We are the apple of his eye, the supreme focus of his passion and love and the special crowning acts of his creation.